Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. To learn more about Anchor Church or to hear the entire message, go to www.anchorchurch.life. Jordan, Earnhardt, Brady, Elway? They're the greatest, the GOAT. This series, we're going to learn what made Jesus the greatest of all time. of all time. Last week, we on social media determined that it is Michael Jordan that was the greatest of all time in basketball. And so this week, we introduced and had the idea and threw out the uh, names of best quarterbacks of all time. And, uh, and, and, and by my vote, it was John Elway. So uh, it turned out that that was the case, I guess. I don't know what happened there. But, uh, but I, I guess, I mean, nobody voted for Tom Brady. Nobody voted for Joe Montana. Nobody wrote in anybody else like Jeff George or anybody. <laughs> Jeff George, then Dan Marino. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus is the greatest of all time. And, uh, and that's, that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're going to continue today. Last week, we talked about just the idea of how we have to determine, we have to make that decision on our own to decide, is Jesus who he says he is? Because if he, says, if he is who he says he is, then he really is the greatest of all time. Uh, we can we we don't even have to argue on a on a on a on a religious standpoint or on a on a if if all these things that that he did actually happened. But the the thought that that we have our dating system because of the birth of one man and it is 2019 years since Jesus's birth, we have that because of one man. I would say that's reason enough to say that's the greatest of all time. But there's been many great things that have been done in Jesus's name, so his influence still resonates with us 2,000 plus years later, and so. I think that anybody could say that this man, Jesus, was the greatest of all time. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about one of the things that makes him the greatest, and that is being a servant. He was the servanthood of Jesus, the servanthood of Christ, and the, the, the way that he uh, humbly served. And so I have a question for you The first uh, to start things off this morning, and it is, what does it mean to be a humble servant? Well, what does it mean to be a humble servant? Well, I thought about different ways that maybe somebody has blessed or somebody that has served me, and, uh, and, and, and oddly enough, it happens to be um, two different times that I ran out of gas. Uh, you'd think, you know, hey, you, you run out of gas one time and then you never let that happen again. Well, it's, I've ran out of gas four times. So, uh, but two of those four times, one time happened on the turnpike. Um, yeah, and it was, I, I, Davis, my son was, I think, a month old. <laughs> 
And uh, two months old, I think he was. It was, in, it was in April. It was two months after he was born. We were going to Gainesville to a wedding, and I got, I got ran out of gas about seven miles, eight miles before the Oompa Loompa um, station. You know what I'm talking about? The Uka, Uka de Uka? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we ran out of gas, and I didn't know what to do. I, 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 it was hot in the car, and I thought the AAA might not actually happen right away. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to run. And so I, 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 I don't know. It was the best I could come up with. But I, I got out of the car, and I, I started running. And, and boy, I was running. And like Forrest Gump. I don't know. That was my best Forrest Gump impersonation. But I, don't even, I didn't even get winded when a guy pulled over. Danil must have been praying hard. Um, but a guy pulled over um, and said, hey, you, you need a ride. I'll, get, I'll give you a ride. You ran out of, and I said, yeah, I ran out of gas. And, and, and I went to go get in the front. He said, no, no, get in the back. And I'm like, yes, sir. And, um, and so he took me, and we went and got some gas. And he brought me all the way back. And I offered to pay his tolls because he had to pay a couple dollars just to turn back around and all that stuff. Or I offered to give him. He said, no, 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 it's, it's fine. You know, you know, God bless, that sort of thing. And, uh, and like, I don't know, six months ago, I ran out of gas. And, um, and I, I, again, I ran, um, I was about a mile away, I, I, like in all of Winter Park, I was about a mile and a half away from a gas station. I, I don't know how that happens, but it was in the worst possible spot. And so I ran to a gas station and they didn't have any gas cans. Uh, the CVS nearby didn't have any, nobody had gas cans. And so I did the dumbest thing you possibly could do. And I bought a gallon of water and I emptied it and I dried the thing out as best as I possibly could. <laughs> Your response was like, you know that that's a bad thing. I'm <laughs> so anyway, I filled that up, and it's fine. It worked. But as I'm like, I look like the, the biggest idiot because I'm filling up, you know, I want to be out of there as quick as possible because everybody knows that that's not what you're supposed to do. So I filled this gallon of thing, you know, of, of gas, and uh, this guy looked at me. He's like, you need a ride? <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, um, and he gave me a ride. To, uh, to the car so I can get it filled back up. But uh, each time that something is like that has happened or each time somebody has done something for me, I've always wanted to give back or do something. And it's very hard sometimes to receive what would be a humble servant, to receive somebody's, somebody's uh, graciousness like that. And, uh, and I think that that's kind of counterculture. I think usually we don't expect somebody to reach out a hand to help out or to, to be a servant, to serve us in any possible way. I mean, it always feels like, oh, I owe them something. And, uh, and I think that that is counterculture, and that's exactly what Jesus did. And he, he lays, lays it down for us as far as who he is as a, as a humble servant. And um, it's what made Jesus the greatest. Everything he did was counter to what people expected from him. I mean, you could think about all the different things that Jesus did he caused such a ruckus when he was here on earth. He was such, I've heard it be said before that he's, he's, he was a savage. He was a savage Jesus because every single thing that he did was what was against the culture and what they were expecting, not only as um, if somebody who's claiming to be the Messiah, but out of somebody that would have just not fallen in line with everything else that was going on. But Jesus stooped down to be among us and live that life. And so I, I have, we're going to be in the book of Mark today, but I have another video like we showed last week that I want to use to introduce the book of Mark for us. So here it is.
The Gospel of Mark is a book in the Bible about the life of Jesus. And the earliest reliable tradition tells us that it was written by a guy named John Mark. Now, Mark didn't just grab a bunch of random stories about Jesus and throw them together. He's designed this book to address some really specific questions about whether or not Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. So let's stop right there, because that's a term a lot of people like me aren't very familiar with. Yeah, so the Messiah was a royal figure, sometimes called the Son of God, that Israel was expecting to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. And around the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome, and so many Jews were hoping that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Romans and rule as king. But Jesus didn't overthrow the Romans. In fact, he was killed by them. And that brings us to the very issues Mark is trying to get at in this book. So in the first half, he focuses on who Jesus is. Is he really the Messiah? And then in the second half, he's addressing how Jesus became the Messianic King. And then right here in the middle of the book is this pivotal story that brings the two halves together and Jesus answers both of these questions. Okay, so let's talk about the first half of the book, who Jesus is. So Mark makes his beliefs about Jesus very clear from the first line of the book. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. One of the next stories is Jesus getting baptized and God's voice announces from heaven, this is my son. So it couldn't be more clear, it's presenting Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but as you're reading through this first half of Mark, you'll notice something really interesting start to happen. Jesus is going about healing all these different people, and he's constantly telling them to keep quiet about who he is. This happens so many times in Mark's account, it's very strange. Yeah, why keep it a secret? So remember, lots of Jews had lots of different expectations about what the Messiah would be and do. And so Jesus doesn't want people to misunderstand what it means for him to be Israel's Messiah. And so with all that in mind, Mind, we come now to the pivotal story at the center of the book where Jesus takes his disciples away and he asks them, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says what everyone's been saying, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But then something new happens because Jesus starts explaining to them how he's going to become the Messianic King and it is not what they expected. He says he's going to suffer and die and rule by becoming a servant or in his words, the Son of Man did not come to be served but to become a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter is startled by this and he rebukes Jesus because there's no way he's gonna let Jesus die. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan, which is really intense. It really is, but it highlights how important it is for Jesus that his disciples come to understand who he really is. And so here now in this pivotal section, Jesus tries three different times to have this conversation with them and every time they respond in confusion and even fear. Okay, so this launches us into the second half of the book where Mark addresses the question of how Jesus becomes the Messianic King. It's the last week of Jesus's life. He goes to Jerusalem, gets in conflict with the religious leaders and gets arrested. And he's put on trial as someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's even given a crown and a purple robe like a king would get, but it is all a cruel joke. Then he's mocked and beaten and hung up on a cross where he dies. And it's here in this crucial scene that we meet a new character. A Roman soldier. Who suddenly gets everything that's going on. He says, surely this is the son of God. Which is crazy. It's an enemy who's first putting it all together that Israel's messianic king is the crucified Jesus. That's the structure of the book of Mark. 
But the book doesn't end with Jesus dead on the cross. No. So on the third day, some women go to visit Jesus' tomb, only to find that it's empty. And then there's this angel standing there, instructing them to go and tell this good news that Jesus is alive from the dead. But instead, they run away and they don't tell anyone because they're afraid. And that's how the book ends. Which is a really abrupt ending. Yeah, it's so abrupt that later scribes did add an ending that brings more closure to the story. And you'll find that story in your Bible with a little footnote that says it was added much later. But Mark's a brilliant storyteller, and he's intentionally ended this book abruptly. So all through the book, the disciples have been confused about Jesus' plan to give up his life, the story in the middle and now right here at the end. It's like Mark is acknowledging just how startling this claim really is. And he wants you, the reader, to wrestle with it for yourself. Is this crucified Jesus really the Messiah that they've been waiting for? So last week we talked about how the world was expecting all these kings to come in and potentially take in and rule over Israel and, and how, how counterculture it was for this Messiah, this king, to be Jesus because he was born where he was born and he, um, he, he was the low of the low. He just was this humble person. And, uh, and that's not what anybody was expecting. And so we see here today that this king as Jesus was being mocked as the king of the Jews. And, 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 and really what we see is that he is this humble servant. He came to serve, not to be served. And so you would think that a king would come to actually be served, that we're going to come and he's going to be here and we're going to do whatever we can to lift him up. But that's not what he says. I didn't come to be served, but I come to be a servant. And so uh, that is counterculture to what anybody would have expected from him. So I want to read Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 43 for you. And it says this, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. And we just saw this in the video. Listen, we're going to go up to Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, they will spit on him, they will flog him, they'll kill him, and, they will, and then he will rise after three days. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want to do something. We want you to do something for us if we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked them, and he answered him, Allow us to, to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. You are able to drink. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And we are able, they told him. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at your right or your left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those it has been prepared for. And when the other ten disciples heard this, they began to indignate with James and John. And Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers and Gentiles dominate them, and their men in high positions exercise power over them. Not so with you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And so I want to pause there for just a moment because 
what's happening here is that they're going on this journey and they're, 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 they're walking, Jesus is walking with his 12 disciples and he tells them, he says, hey, this is what's going to happen. He's foretelling everything. There's, there's a little foreshadowing in the story that we know now as Jesus going to the cross, suffering, dying, and then coming back to life three days later. But this was all new to them at this moment. So this was all something they were not expecting. They didn't know it. This was actually one of the, one of the many times that Jesus actually told them this, but it wasn't quite resonating with them because they didn't think that this, if, if they really did believe that Jesus was the greatest, that Jesus was the Messiah, he was going to be the one that saved all the kingdoms. He was going to save the nations, that it wouldn't end like that, that he wouldn't have to suffer, that he wouldn't have to be killed on the cross. He wouldn't be handed over to the chief priests. But Jesus is telling them that this is what's going down. And ultimately, that's where Peter says, no, that's not going to happen to you, Lord. And that's when he says, get behind me, Satan. But in this moment, James and John, they're like, okay, okay, I get you, I get you. Okay, so when you take over your throne, can we sit at your left and at your right? Again, they are thrown off by what is actually happening here. They said, hey, when you're sitting on your throne, you're ruling over everything. But they really kind of, they pulled Jesus aside. There's the two, James and John. They pulled Jesus aside and they say, hey, listen, when you take over the throne, forget about them. Can we sit next to you up there on the, like, is that cool? Can we, like, can we be those guys? And Jesus is like, no, that's not how it's going to work. I don't know what you guys have been listening to all this time, but that's not how it's going to go down. And then he, he, he explains it a little further. But he says this statement in Mark chapter 10, verse 43. He says, you know, let me go back. Go to 42. That's the statement. It says, you know those who regard as rulers and Gentiles dominate them. And then there are men of high positions exercise power over them. He's basically saying, hey, you know how kings usually rule? Uh, they take over and they have their powers and they have different people, their little people that run off and go and off with their heads, that sort of thing. They, they take over power and there's power that is distributed. He says, you know how that usually is? Well, that's not how it is with us and that's not how it's going to be with you. He says, not so with you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you but must be your servant. So the greatest of all time says, hey, if you want to be great you have to be a servant. And so he says, if you're going to be with him, don't expect to have all these things. Don't be expected to be lifted up to a higher power because that's not so for you. If you want to be great, you have to humbly serve. So for you today, I'd say, whatever you expect, it's not so with you. The greatest thing that you could ever do to reflect the greatest of all time is to humbly bow and become a servant, to serve. And that can be in a multiple different ways that you can actually serve. But I think that sometimes we, we use that uh, as, a, as a value. We try to value different things that we do. Our faith becomes currency where we think, all right, so if I give this or if I do this, then, then I'm gonna get back something from Jesus. But that's not how it works. We simply just humble ourselves and become a servant. And, and I have, I, you know, I like to do things in front of you guys for, you know, reasons whether they work or not. So here we go. I got something else for you today. Mm, so. 
My grandfather gave me this 1930s slot machine. Now, don't keep your minds focused, okay? But I think that sometimes we think that if I give a little bit more devotion, more Bible study to Jesus, maybe I'll get something in return. And when I don't, oh, well, okay, so all right, maybe if I, maybe if I start going to church every single week, that's when Jesus is going to bless me. So here it comes, here it comes. Nothing. All right, well, so here, you know what? I'm going to go the extra mile, and I'm going to uh, do this special thing for somebody, and so maybe that's when God's going to bless me, and nothing. And I think that sometimes we, we take it as currency. We're just going to keep giving and doing different things and expect something. And maybe sometimes we hit the jackpot. Maybe sometimes we just get a little bit back, and we feel the goodness that, that Jesus has given us back. But that's not how it works This is not how it works. Jesus is not a slot machine ministry. It's a life devoted to him. Where we we give, but we don't expect anything back. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more goodness that you begin to absorb and understand and begin to feel. It's something so much greater than that. And our purpose should not be to, to secure position, popularity, or whatever else that we're desiring, but to live fully submitted to God's purposes in and through our lives. It's not about what we can give in chunks of currency towards Jesus. And I don't mean actually money. I'm I'm actually talking about the good works that we think that we do to be able to earn goodness from Jesus. That's not how it works. It's a journey that we're on. that We begin to see and begin to discover more and more of who he is. And when we humble ourselves and we begin to do the different things that he might have done, if we start to ask, really, what would Jesus do in this moment, we begin to understand his life and begin to reflect more of who he is. If we want to be the greatest, you've got to be able to reflect the greatest. Mark chapter 10, verse 44 says, And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When we serve each other, we're no longer slaves to sin. We talked about being a slave to sin last week and how it just can encompass our whole heart and how Jesus sets us free from that sin. But instead of being a slave to sin, we become a slave to the one who gave it all. We're no longer slaves to sin, but, but we're submitting to serve, to serve the one, to serve our Savior. And this is honestly how we can live our greatest life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. See, we all take these different roads and these different paths in life, and sometimes the broad road seems the more obvious and easy one to take. But Jesus says, you know, if you take the the narrow road, because it's not easy to continue to develop a, a life where you are constantly looking to serve and to humble yourself and um, be great and reflect the greatness of Jesus. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. That becomes the more narrow road. Sometimes the, the wider road is a lot easier to take. And, and I believe, honestly, the wider road is this. Let's say that I hit the jackpot. All of a sudden, I'm more in. 
I'm more locked in than ever when I, when I get a little bit. But then, but then I start to miss more and more and I get discouraged more and more. And Jesus doesn't want that for you. It's not about depositing small pieces of currency time after time after time. Good works, good works, good works. Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. Church attendance, church attendance, church attendance. Because ultimately we're going to fail in those things. And we're going to come up dry and we're not going to get anything in return. But Jesus is telling us that if we submit ourselves and we become a servant to those around us and we humble ourselves time and time again, that we'll be able to reap what we sow and develop some great qualities where we begin to reflect the greatest that ever was. And that is the narrow road. This last week when I was in California, I got to experience the narrow road. I went on a hike and uh, I was hiking up to go. I thought this was going to be a brilliant idea. I was going to hike to the backside of the Hollywood sign because I thought it would look cool to be up there. I'd get some good Instagram photos because it's what it's all about. And then um, I'm gonna, uh, it'll be just a good activity for me to do. I don't know why I decided to do it, but I thought it would be fun. I had, I had eight to ten hours to burn before I had something to, to go to. So I, uh, let's see, I went to bed at like around midnight on Sunday, woke up at 4, and thanks to Mike Icardi, he gave me a ride to the airport at 4.30 in the morning, on Monday morning. I landed LA time at 9.30, went to Target, got some waters and some granola bars, and then went over to the Hollywood Hills to go hike this trail. And so I start, and when you first get there, there's many ways that you could do it, but I parked at the, I think it's the Griffin Observatory, and I parked there, and when you're there, lots of people. So many people, there's so many cars, there's so many people, and there's people standing there, and they're getting their picture taken, and the Hollywood sign is, is back there, and you can kind of look and see it. And I said, well, I'm going to hike up there. It's really far, but I'm going to do it. It's about a mile and a half. I'm going to make it happen. So I start the trail. The trail's nice and wide. I'm like, I can do this. This is easy. At one point, I felt like, because I, I like dress the part. I'm wearing, like, running pants, running, you know, shoes and and all that, and I was ready to go, and like I'm seeing like people in like jeans and, and work shoes coming down the trail. I'm like, I overdressed for this thing. Uh, so then I, I start hiking, and about you know, what felt like an hour in was you know only 15 minutes in, but it was up the hill, and I, there was a great the first like glimpse that you could see the Hollywood sign on the trail. I was like, this is awesome, and I took a photo. This is great. Look at this, and I, here's the first photo right here. How cool, how cool does that look, right? So I was like, it looks cool. You can see some parts of LA, and, and here's the Hollywood sign. And a piece of me thought, you know what? I could stop here, you know, because I don't know if you can see that sign over there on the far left. What is that, left? It says, caution, rattlesnakes. So I'm like, all right, this looks good. I could stop here. Actually, at this point, there were some ladies that I was walking nearby. They actually turned around. I'm like, oh, is this... I guess some people just only walk up. And, that, and I was like, all right, fine. And then um, I was like, no, nah, you know what? I'll get a little bit closer. So I kept my height going a little bit more. And then I thought, all right, it's time for a selfie. This was probably about another 15 minutes down the trail. And so I took a, I took a selfie. Um, and I'm not the best at it. Uh, there, you can go back one more. There, there I am with the But it's better. It's a better view now. And I'm like, all right, I can stop here. This is good. Like, at this point, like, I, le I legitimately, like, this is an hour into the hike. And I'm like, I'm going to hike from here to there? Like, how is that going to, like, I feel like I've already gone a mile. How's that a half a mile? And, 
And so I'm like, all right, fine. But, you know, I talked myself into going for it. I was like, I'm here. I'm going to go. I'm going to hike the rest of it. I'm going to do this thing. So I keep, I keep on going. And at one point, the trail goes from wide to narrow. And I, I didn't know what was going on. And, and here's, a, here's a glimpse. That next picture, you can see a glimpse of, of the trail. This is straight up. Like, I had to climb this. And I'm walking up this thing, and I'm like, how in the world is everybody doing this? I, like, I, of all the people that are on this trail, how are people doing this? And then probably about 20 minutes later from this point, uh, I'm on a really narrow section where L.A. had a lot of rain recently. And I'm like walking this way, and the road, the path had washed out right here. And I'm looking like 50 feet straight down. And I'm very careful because I'm thinking this could just go and be the same as that. And... And so I was getting worried. At that point, I started laughing out loud because I was like, I'm on the wrong path. Like, this is not where everybody else is going. And, I, and I'm getting nervous because my cell phone signal was at two bars and the Wi-Fi was spotty. And, 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 and there was ravens flying all over the place. And I'm, I'm getting really, and a piece of me is like, maybe I could catch one and I could send a message to somebody. I was like, that, if you know the story, no, that didn't work out for him. Maybe I can, I'm hungry, I can catch it and eat it. And I'm like rationing my water. I didn't know where I was on this trail. And so I'm getting really nervous. And, and you know, th this was terrifying. And so finally, I, I get to the point where it, this little trail opens back up to the main trail again. And I realized that my one and a half mile journey turned into about a three and a half mile journey. And I went on the wrong trail. But the next photo that I have here is a little bit clashed. I thought about that. I, I got even closer, and I thought I, I could actually quit here. But then ultimately, I got to it, and I thought, man, this is awesome. And I got to see everything around. I got to be behind the sign. There's your boy. I had to ask teenagers to take that photo for me. <laughs> it's like, hey, I thought they were Scandinavian or something. I'm like, hey, do you know how to take a panoramic? And they're like, yeah, I know how. I'm like, okay, great. Give me a second. I had to run down the hill to go. Anyway, my whole point is this. I think on our journey in Christ, there are many times where we are down that road and we think, man, the view is good from here. I could just stop. I've been, I'm here. I can see it. I'm, I'm good. And then we think, you know what? I'll, I'll give it a little bit more. It's not easy but I'll give it a little bit more. And, and maybe sometimes we find ourselves on the wrong path. And we think, I, I just, I need to turn back around. I'm going to give up. But what I want to encourage you to do is to keep your eyes focused on where you're supposed to go. At any given point, I could have given up, but I would have missed out on this. The reason why I was doing everything that I was doing. I would have missed out on the amazing views that I got to see. I would have missed out on the amazing opportunity that I got to stand where not as many people get to stand, where a lot of people give up before they get there. You guys drawn in on the application that I'm drawing here for you? That on this road in Christ, there are plenty of opportunities for us to stop. There are plenty of opportunities for us to give up. We think, I'm here, I'm almost there. I'm, I'm, this is just good enough for me. I want to tell you to keep going. Humble yourselves. Make, make yourself a servant and keep on doing it. 
I think sometimes the way we're treated, we think, man, that's not, you know, I didn't hit the jackpot when I was being nice to somebody. And so you know what? I'm going to give up. Or, hey, I've been doing my Bible study for like a week now, and nothing's ever come of it, so I'm going to give up. You're, you're, you're working the wrong thing. Humble yourself. Jesus gave it all. He paid it all. I saw this video of a girl. She was four years old and she was kidnapped. It was in Lakeland, Florida that she was kidnapped from, and they found her in Memphis, Tennessee. And they brought her back to re be reunited with her family. And they get her off the airplane, and she walks in to the airport with her family, and her family, her mom and dad, are just, as you can imagine, crying, hugging her. And the camera gets a little view of her face, and she's just blank stared. Like, she doesn't understand what's happening. She didn't understand what was going on. And I think that sometimes that's something that we go through. We don't understand the full gravity of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And sometimes we don't necessarily respond or see it in the same way. But I want to remind you today that Jesus paid it all, and he's humbled himself. He came here and was who he, who he was for you. And the way that we respond, if we're going to be great like the greatest, just humble yourself and don't give up. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.